0: In the 21st century
1: Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 171. This week, my guest is Sean Hackett. And you probably know Sean Hackett from uh, the uh, market stuff that we do on uh, on Thursday mornings. But but Sean is uh, he's a guest that I've had on for a while, and uh, he's got a lot of knowledge. So I'm excited to talk about this. This episode of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire & Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. So Sean is... How long have we been doing this now, Sean? A little over a year now?
0: I think our first podcast was...
1: Coming this time frame? Yeah, a little over a year ago.
0: Early early, early January, about a year ago. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so Sean reached out to me um, in uh, early December of 2018, 2018, and he... uh, started talking to me about grand solar minimums and I'm like yeah I mean I remember hearing some stuff about this and I remember hearing some stuff about like the Dalton minimum and the Mulder minimum and these different epic um, basically cold spells that kind of snap through the uh, through the earth and they do different things it causes different things to happen in different parts of the country all depending on where you're at in in this, and where, where you're at as far as the jet stream goes, and he's kind of talking to me about it. I'm like, I don't know, man. that sounds kind of, kind of crazy. You know, I mean, I, I know this is a real deal, but Sean is, uh, he's really diving into, it, and I can tell he's, uh, he's got a, he's pretty much a, he's kind of an expert on it. So, I start doing my research, start following up, start looking at things that are going on. Um, and lo and behold, Sean is not on an island by himself. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are several uh, astrophysicists and, um you know other scientists meteorologists i mean just all over the place talking about this so i feel a little at the down at this time i'm feeling kind of stupid because i don't know anything about it and i'm supposed to be uh kind of keeping up what's going on in the ag world and nothing's more important to the ag world than what's happening with the weather so i uh sit down with sean and we start talking about what what it could look like and and things that could happen and he starts laying out these predictions like late february there's going to be an epic cold spell that snaps through the midwest and if you remember right um i think chicago had it was it was cool it was colder in chicago it was warmer in Juneau alaska than it was in uh in chicago <laughs> illinois if i remember right it's like negative 60 degrees and the wind chills were off the charts and it was a polar vortex comes down and didn't know what a polar vortex was until 2019 so um these things start happening start talking about these uh big blizzard effects that are going to start happening and lo and behold the stuff that sean was laying out there to me actually was within just a few days of, of what he said it was going to be and so i started paying more attention to what was going on did a lot more research and and this uh this solar cycle thing is a is a big deal so sean uh welcome to a non-market related uh podcast how you doing man
0: I'm doing really good. I love talking about this stuff, so I'm excited to kind of, you know, follow up and lay, lay out the clear case for what's, uh, what we're looking ahead for the next couple of years because it's going to be uh, pretty wild, but, uh, but there'll be lots of opportunity.
1: Right so. on. Okay. So for those that haven't listened to uh, the previous podcast about uh, what's Sean on there where we talked about this, I think there's two other ones we've talked about, why don't you give just a, a real brief synopsis of, of what a, a solar cycle is, a solar minimum is?
0: Well, there's a normal solar cycle. It's a 12-year cycle where the sun uh, produces a lot of sunspots, and then it produces very little sunspots, and it it oscillates over a 12-year period. But that's the normal solar cycle. Uh, It's been going on for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, and that's how uh, the sun gives a consistent solar irradiation to the Earth and keeps it warm and keeps us feeling good about ourselves. Right on. Um, But every 200 years, um, and this goes back... An ice core analysis, tree ring analysis, for thousands and thousands of years, uh, about every 200 years, the sunspots go quiet. What that means is, is that the amplitude from the low point to the high point is very small. And we have multi decades where there's less sunspots overall, and the solar irradiation hitting the atmosphere drops at least in half from what it normally does. And when that happens, Uh, it sets off a completely different weather paradigm like you discussed in your introduction where we get these wild uh, weather patterns, weather volatility, extreme cold, extreme hot, drought, extreme flooding. We've seen it all here, Casey. Um, And what happens is that as we go further into these, what they call a grand solar cycle, the amplitude of this weather volatility actually increases over time. Um, And so that's So, so where we are right now, for those that haven't been following this, we have just entered into a 200 year grand solar cycle, meaning we're just in the first year or two of a 30 year cycle that's going to continue to create wild weather volatility. And of course, agricultural pricing is going to continue to be impacted by uh, this weather volatility, and prices are going to continue to work their way higher uh, over time. And if someone's a producer, if someone is an end user, if someone's involved in the agricultural trade at all and isn't aware of what this cycle is and what's to come, you really should start paying attention to it because it really is going to change how you grow food, where you grow food, and how you market your food. And, and so it's a really timely topic, because uh, we're about a year away from it really hitting hitting the high the high scene here.
1: Okay. All right. So let's let's back up here a second. Let's talk about sunspots. Sunspots are, you know, everyone's seen pictures of the sun and the sun is just glowing orange ball out there. And there's these little black spots that you see kind of popping up all over the place. Those are sunspots. What are the significance of sunspots and why are they important?
0: Well, when I, when the sun has a massive explosion on the sun, that's a sunspot and the, the black, dark place you see is what's left over after the explosion takes place. And the more of these explosions you have, the more, it's like releasing heat from the sun. It's called solar wind. And if you have a lot of these sunspots, it increases the solar wind towards the Earth. The faster the solar wind, the more energy that's coming from the sun, the more solar radiation hitting the atmosphere, you know, and, and that impacts our Earth. So these sunspots are very important in that they that we want to maintain a certain amount of solar radiation hitting the Earth. Uh, over a, a over you know a consistent period so that the the earth is in balance we know that the earth is a perfectly balanced uh, self-correcting organism I call it an organism because it's just amazing with the atmosphere and how it regulates the climate on earth and 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 part of that process is to have the sun giving it a consistent amount of energy if that energy falls back if we get less of it, then the Earth has to make adjustments to account for it, and those adjustments change our weather significantly. Um, and, uh, and and that's where we find ourselves today.
1: Okay. So when this uh, solar radiation is hitting the Earth, solar wind, those kind of things, as those particles go across Earth, they're 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 heating up the atmosphere, right? They're warming things up. They're making making it hotter on Earth than it is in any other time. When that stops, just like you said, it cools That I'm sure it cools down, and you get some, some crazy things. So talk about the biggest thing, especially with these solar vortexes and those kind of things that we saw happening, where that, the, the, I mean, this is my layman's version of what a polar vortex is here. So the jet stream controls the movement of cold and warm air uh, above and below that, right? So the southern part of the, uh, uh, the jet stream keeps the uh warm air from going too far north and it keeps the cold air from going too far south right so as that jet stream dips down it, it lets cold air move down well what we see with these what the with the jet stream what we see happening now you, instead of it being just kind of like a a line that kind of gradually curves across the atmosphere it's very erratic in the way it does it right it's very very high peaks and very low valleys and and that as, depending on where you're at in that in those valleys or peaks really depends on what you're having so as we saw this spring because of that where in in key growing areas that was that part of the kind of the the wet cool spring that we saw in those in those areas
0: yeah if if, if 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 no one remembers anything from this podcast but this one point and and it's this when solar radiation drops from the sun uh, and, and, and less radiations, solar radiations hitting the atmosphere, it cools the outer atmosphere. And what happens to cool air? It sinks. And so what happens is the atmosphere actually shrinks. So think of the jet stream as a rubber band around a sphere. And if you take that rubber band and you take a sphere and you contract it, instead of having what we call a zonal flow, as you said, this kind of a gentle sine wave going around the Earth, it becomes loopy. We call, they call it meridional, up. And down north to south, and it becomes snake-like around the entire upper northern hemisphere. And the same thing happens in the southern hemisphere. And why that's so very different is this: when you have uh, a deep dive in the jet stream like that, cold air in the Arctic, where the polar vortex normally lies, is allowed to come into the lower latitudes. And so you have this very cold air meshing with this very warm air, and when you clash like that. You have violent, violent storms, you have excessive wetness, you have excessive uh, blizzards. We call them bombogenesis in the wintertime, bomb cyclones, which is actually a winter hurricane. If you actually look at the satellite, it's rotating like a hurricane. Um, And really what a bomb cyclone is, it's the pressure pressure falls so rapidly in a 24-hour period that the storm literally blows up like a hurricane. Normally does here in South Florida where I'm at. And so that's the feature. That is the key feature that changes the weather from a normal, gentle zonal flow, and it causes these stagnant weather patterns. Like you said, last year in the US, it rained and it rained and it rained and it rained. And the systems didn't leave. They stayed and they continued to pour the rain because we had this gesture diving down and it didn't move. Conversely, when you looked over and say Australia. You know, they had no rain and no rain and no rain for weeks and weeks and months and months because they were on the other side of this meridional jet stream. And so, this is really, really important that uh, is that we have. So, for example, in the last 365 days in the United States alone, we broke over 18,000 record high temperatures and we broke over 18,000 record low temperatures in one year because of this weather volatility. this. Loopy jet stream. And it just, you know, farming doesn't work with that kind of weather. Farming, you know, you can't grow things when you're going from minus 35 degrees to 40 degrees in a 24-hour period. It's just is just not the right environment to grow uh consistent high production that we've been able to do for a long period of time. And what happens is that as the sun stays quiet and as we go further on into this grand solar cycle minimum, these weather patterns get even more uh, volatile and more adverse, and start impacting, um, you know, the, the the weather and production even more. And so really, we've seen a classic example of the El Nino portion of this weather volatility because the modulation of this, the the how this actually plays out and where this meridional jet stream lies has to do with how the tropical pacific ocean whether it's in a warm el nino phase or it's in a cool la nina phase we just went through the warm el nino phase lots of rain you know kind of you know lots of cool wet weather in the us and now we're transitioning 2020 is transitioning away from el nino towards la nina la nina is endless winter short hot summers here in the us and that's what we have to look forward to in 2021 22 in la nina's if anyone looks at a chart of corn yields, for example, in the U.S., and you look at all the years where corn yields are way down below trend, they are all primarily in La Nina years because it produces much more adverse weather for the U.S. than does El Nino. Although, El Nino did very it did a lot of damage last year, it's the La Ninas we worry about. The last La Nina we had was the last solar cycle trough in 2011 and 2012 and we know we had some pretty ugly weather uh, in 2011 and 12 in the U.S. when we had the severe drought of 2012 and corn, price, corn futures you know, crossed the $8 mark. So, so that's where we're heading into. And the only difference is because we're further along in the solar minimum, it's going to be amplified just like the El Nino was last year.
1: Okay. All right. So let's do a quick uh, quick history lesson here. So there's there's two, the last two big solar cycles that, that are on record are the Mulder minimum and the Dalton minimum. And the Mulder was in the 1600s, right? 1600s.
0: Mid-1600s was the Maunder. Uh Dalton was late 1700s into the uh, mid-1800s.
1: Yeah. And if for those of you that want to look that up you know there's a there's a lot of things that happened during that time frame it was the uh there's a a year during the Dalton minimum called the uh the the year without a summer there's one there there's a volcanic eruption that happened and that kind of cooled uh, the entire world off and they were talking about you know snowfall measurable snowfall in the northern uh part of the united states in like june and july um the Mulder minimum was actually worse than dalton minimum was um it It was you know starvation was a was a big thing, and all those kind of things that come along with that. so as you look in the Mulder minimum, if I remember right, it did fall during one of these the the real epic parts of it were were uh during a a, a La Nina time frame, right so they were, that was what made it so much worse than than other times uh, the other ones that we've seen.
0: Yeah, La Ninas were always produced the highest, most extreme cold. El Niño is a warm weather pattern. Just think of the, this: is to try to try to simplify it. El Niño means warm tropical Pacific Ocean water. La Niña means cold tropical Pacific water. So think of it: you're in a, a, your bathroom and you put very hot water in your bathtub. You close the door and you come back a half an hour later. What's the air around the bathtub going to be? It's going to be warm because the warm water is infiltrating out into the air and so if you walk if you if you say I'm going to work I'm going to be back later tonight and you come back 12 hours later the, the air is going to be back to normal it's going to have cool why because the water in the tub went back to normal. So think of the tropical pacific ocean as a bathtub. El Nino is when it's warm, La Nina is when it's cold. When it's cold it means you're going to have a much much colder air pattern even in normal times. But in a time where the where the solar radiation when the sun is quiet, we're in a grand solar cycle like minimum it puts it, you know, an order of magnitude worse than normal. So yes, La Nina is the cold weather pattern that we, uh, that when you look back at the Maunder and the Dalton were your worst, worst weather periods, where the most production agricultural devastation took place and where the, and, and the most weather volatility took place.
1: Yep. Okay. One, one more, uh, one more explanation and we'll jump into what, what the future looks like for us here. All right. So these are not, weather patterns or or phenomenons that last for um just a, a season or two these are these are lengthy things these are 20 to 30 50 year time frames that, that of these these weather patterns based on what we've seen happen in, in, in with past solar minimums correct
0: yes uh they can range in duration but the average duration of a grand solar cycle is approximately 50 years approximately. You can have some that are a little longer, like the monitor was a little longer. You can have some that are a little small, uh, less in duration, like the Dalton was a little less. But on average, it's a 50 year event overall before the sun fires back up again and gets back to normal. So what we want to convey to anyone listening to this program is, you know, we in a normal weather cycle, we're used to eight years out of every 10 being good weather, two years out of 10. Being on you know not very good so the the bad weather years they come they're going to go away we get back to good weather everything's fine in this weather regime what's going to happen is we're going to have uh, two good weather years out of ten and eight bad weather years out of ten it's going to reverse in terms of what's normal what's not normal uh, and and it is not going to just oh it's a bad weather time and we're going to get back to normal it's not going to get back to normal it's actually going to continue to actually get more volatile over time so so this is a long Term trend, even though we're going to talk about the next two or three years and what it means, it, it goes far beyond that. Goes far beyond that.
1: Yeah. So good times are coming. Can't wait for it. Um, as you as you sit back here and take a look at this now. So now we have coming off. You know, these kind of things have started to kind of fall into place ever since about 2015, 2016, Kind of checking their boxes as they go along, and then we hit we hit twenty nineteen, and it's. You know here in scott's i love that we had we had two of those um uh, bomb cyclones within uh, a 30 day period now those are supposed to be like a once in a lifetime thing right
0: once in 50 year once in 100 year event you know? yeah we had
1: two in 30 days so we're way ahead of, way ahead of the curve there but You're and done. then You're You're oh, oh yeah we're, <laughs> we're good for like generations now so yeah we're, we're solid but uh, you know i take a look at last year and i'm just kind of running in my head kind of thinking about it and I had, I think we had pretty close to forty or fifty inches of snow. That's not necessarily uncommon, but the way we got it is really uncommon. We had uh twenty nineteen just ended and we had four blizzards in twenty nineteen. Those two bomb cyclones, and actually I think we had five blizzards. Five blizzards in one year. And they were all, you know, eighteen plus inches, twelve inches, something like that. 30, 50, 30 to 50 mile an hour winds. I mean, it was full blown blizzards, you know, as, as you, I don't know how much worse it can get, but tell me what's going to happen in 2020 and 2021.
0: <laughs> <laughs> look, before, before I say anything, I, I don't want yeah. anyone to, to think that I'm a doomsdayer guy. I am not that right. anybody that reads yep. my reports. I'm not a doomsdayer guy. It's that's not my ammo. My ammo is I'm a data cruncher. I look at data. I'm a scientist. I run through the analysis and 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 uh, and and there's tremendous opportunity in what's coming up ahead. So I don't want anyone to think that you know Sean is just this doomsdayer. I'm not that. Uh, after having said that, you know the truth be told, you know, I have to say what what the, what the research indicates. And what the research indicates is that the winters that you describe, Casey, is a El Nino winter, and those are mild compared to what a La Nina winter is going to look like. It will be much worse. It'll be much more in terms of the duration, how long the winter is, and it'll be. Uh, and, and by definition of having it be that much longer, you're going to have that many more opportunities for polar vortices, bombogenesis, bomb cyclones, and, and just just an accentuation of the exact pattern we saw, but on steroids, for better than a, for a lack of a better term. Um, and so, what does it look like? It it the line. It, it, La Nina El Nino, uh, the solar cycle modulates El Nino La Nina. If you look at, we have a chart that we show in our reports and on our presentations when we go out and do these things across the country. Uh, there's a chart that shows the solar cycle, the 12 year solar cycle that we talk about. As we approach the trough, as we move into the trough period, like we are now, we always lead into it with an El Nino. That's what we just saw, and as we get to the trough, we flip onto La Nina. You can look back at every trough and it's the same exact pattern and you can time it almost exactly when the La Nina is going to occur, when the La Nina is going to occur at the trough. It's amazing. Now I'm not talking about just 20 years. I'm talking about going back 150 years. You can time exactly when these things occur. So we are, we don't really have to guess that La Nina is coming in 2021. 2021. It is going to come. Um, It's just the way the sun operates. It's the way that the sun modulates Ocean temperatures, it just happens like clockwork, it's a finely tuned watch. And so remember, we talked about earlier La Niña cold temperature in this tropical Pacific Ocean means colder air. Um, so so the La Niña is expected to kick in in the spring of 2021. So what does that mean? What that means is that we are expecting two th- uh I'm sorry, the spring of t- uh, yeah, 2021. So what does that mean? That means that the summer. 2021, we are looking at a an extremely warm, dry summer. Um, how hot and how dry? I mean, there's other factors than just the solar cycle. There's other factors than just La Nina. But it, we were we would be expecting a very unfavorable, hot, dry, but short summer in 2021. The winter of 2021-22 is going to start very early. I mean, we we think it could start as early as the back half of September, early October, winter will start. Not just a cold snap in the fall. I mean, winter really getting started. And, and we believe that it will continue all the way in to the latter part of May, early June before you know we actually get out of winter. So we're looking at something like a six, seven-month duration winter. So think very short growing season in 2021, early frost, like hard freezes, what happened with sugar this year may be may maybe a cakewalk compared to what might be coming during that season. And we're going to have a very late end means late frost coming late in the season, uh, in in the in the in the spring season. So when you when you put all that in, this is just the U.S. By the way, we're not even talking about what Europe's going to be looking like, what Russia's going to be looking like. This is a Northern Hemisphere. I don't want anyone to think that it's only the U.S. that's impacted by this and everyone's doing great. No, no, it, this is a Northern Hemisphere problem. But I focus on the U.S. because most of the people I come in contact with and listen to your program are in the North American ag industry, and they really care about what's going to happen in Nebraska.
1: Right.
0: Focus on that. Um, so, so, so if we're going to have a hot, dry, short growing season in 21, early frost, uh, you know, kicking in as harvest gets going, late frost as we're trying to get the crop planted, you can only imagine what kind of problems, what kind of production problems we're going to have in the US. We already know some of the problems that we had when we had a much comparatively mild winter this past season. We can only imagine if we had started uh, you know a couple of months earlier this or a couple of months later, how much worse it would have been. And that's really what we see happening on an on a global scale in Northern Hemisphere in that period of time. And 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 with that we think that's going to change everyone's view: a, what's actually controlling and modulating our climate; and b, what do we have to do as a world, as a country, as an ag producer to adapt, adjust, and 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 move through this weather volatility so that we can, in fact, uh, not only survive through it but produce enough food and do it profitably going forward. And that's really, to me, while I'm not looking forward to that period of time, I'm really not, because it's going it's to be a lot of difficult times for a lot of people. Nothing happens in this world without a crisis. Nothing gets solved without a crisis. It takes a crisis for everyone to get stand up and say, let's take action. Let's do what we should have done five years ago. So, so as much as I'm not looking forward to it, I am looking forward to it right. because it's going to cause the change necessary to get our act together. So
1: There are several uh, um Astrophysicists out there that have that actually talk about this on a pretty regular basis, and I, the one that I that I know about the most, the one that I see the most out there is Dr. Uh, Valentina Zarkova. Is that right? And she she has some very really, I mean, if you want to do some good research on what and really get your head wrapped around it, um, I mean, Sean's laying it out here pretty good, but she's she's, I mean, stuff she says goes over my head because I'm I'm just a dumb layman, but. She's she's got some pretty good points of what's going to happen, what that looks like, and does a really she has some very good lectures and stuff like that that really show like the whole solar cycle thing, and she can go back a hundred thousand years and show this, you know, all the different things that happen and through recorded history. And as you look at recorded history, there are several civil civilizations that have you can kind of see when their when their boom and bust cycles are and. China is one of those places that you can see that all the rise and falls of all these different dynasties throughout Chinese history kind of align with these these solar cycles. You know, there's a 250 year, 500 year run. You know, where they've kind of got things under control, and then just out of nowhere, something happens, and they just a new dynasty takes over. So, I mean, as you look across these these past solar minimums and what they've done how would how, how, how would you describe i guess from a historical standpoint how, how have people adapted and overcome what well, you see
0: happening here I mean with with you know back then uh, the way that people cut through it was you know they had to uh, uh, grow crops uh, they had to figure out how to grow different crops you know that could that could grow in shorter growing cycles uh, they had to have a better storage capability so that it doesn't mean you won't have a good weather year. Every once in a while, you're gonna have a good weather year. You're gonna grow some food. Or, you know, save it for the rainy day. You know I mean? You you look what happened when we had all those busted storage bins here in the US and all that grain got spoiled because it wasn't able to handle the kind of winter conditions that we had. That's unacceptable. We can't afford to take food that we've grown in a good year and, and, and lose it to the elements because we don't have correct infrastructure uh, to handle so, so, the infrastructure has to be upgraded. Right. Um, we have to go away from just in time inventory. I mean, the, most of the countries that aren't self sufficient in food um, no longer have stockpiles of food. They live in just in time because we've had good weather. We've been able to produce it. So, hey, I just call, make, make a phone call. The United States ships me what I need. Everything's fine. But in this scenario where it's not just going to be that way and it's not going to be available, you need to, you know, what's going to have to happen is countries that can support themselves with domestic production will need to start stockpiling, and this whole stockpiling will have to come into play. So, there is a lot of things. And, of course, today in age, we have such technology advancements, you know, greenhouse technologies, vertical farming, and there's a lot of things we can do to grow food in different ways uh, to, to kind of adapt to it that we maybe we weren't able to do 200 years ago when we didn't have this kind of, of technology operating the way it is today. So, to some respects, we're more qualified and capable of handling this one than ever before. At the same time, we have to get our act together and start going ahead and doing it. The good news is someone's figured this out. Over $2.5 billion of venture capital money has gone into supporting vertical farming here in the last 18 months. Um, So somebody, you know, these are longer-term guys that really think outside the box, do their research, and have just started to put tons of money into these operations that can grow a lot of food indoors. so maybe just maybe they're also seeing some of this research, seeing some of this some of these trends and are and they're getting prepared themselves, not only to make a lot of money, but also to provide a solution to what's coming up ahead. These guys tend to think that
1: there there is a lot of things going on right now as you look across the landscape, whether it's countries like China that are have Five and six years worth of uh, with worth of wheat and rice and those kind of things on on hand and and, and they can't seem to buy enough of it so kind of there's some indicators out there that that show you that some people know some things they're not telling everybody else so there there's going to be some some time where we see some see some things happening and and everybody needs to be uh, be on the ball and make sure they got their their plan in place and what that looks like and I guess so what what are going to be some early indicators for you Sean to let they're going to say hey you know what we're here now and you start making that plan moving forward with how we're going to start marketing our crop as a farmer.
0: Well, I would hope that some of the weather we've seen in the last two years is a wake-up call to some. You know, I, I think, I, I mean, I talk and see a lot of U.S. farmers around the country and I talk to a lot of them. And I can tell you that this last two years has been a wake-up call. I mean, the, they no one was prepared for this. No one... Was expecting this, and, and and many have been very very hurt by it. But I can tell you that the U.S. farmer, at least, has started to get the message, has gotten the wake-up call. I'm not sure other countries have yet, uh, but the U.S. farmer is woke up uh, to the reality situation, and their their eyes are wide open to uh, something is going on here, and we need to start thinking differently about how we do business, how we do things. Um, so that's encouraging, but but. Well, what we really need to do is we also need to get um, the global governments to um, promote and uh, get their policies to also support what I think is starting to happen in the private sector to some extent. They're not on board yet, but I think that's also the next step that we need to see is to have government and private sector working together to solve this problem. I don't think it can just be solved by one. I think everyone has to come together to work on this.
1: Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. There's uh there's a ton of information out there on this, guys. So check it out. Go go do the research. Go watch the YouTube videos. There's a, a a group that have been on here before and they have a channel on YouTube called Grand Solar Minimum. So it's a pretty easy thing to go find. Sean, you've got some good information out there. Where's the best place for folks to go find your information at? Um,
0: you know, our website at hackett H A C K E T T advisors.com is a great place um uh, to look. You know, we also, you know, Casey. We wrote a, a pretty detailed report on on all these cycles in December. Um, if anyone who's watching the program wanted to to email us to get a copy of that uh, report, we'd have no problem sending it to them. It's something we think is super important, and we'd have no problem with you know getting that because it really lays out a lot of what we talked about here and a whole bunch of other things that are just too time consuming and, and somewhat too complicated to necessarily speak all at one time, but. But I'd be more than happy to do that if they wanted to email us as well. So either between emailing us and, and our website, we think uh, this would be a good place to start with getting your hand, you know, their hands around weather, the climate, and what's up ahead.
1: Right on. And is that email address on the website, they can find it there, or do you want to give it out?
0: It is, but I can give it to it. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Shoot us an email. Say, I saw you on moving iron, and Mr. Casey, and... Could you see, send me that 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 report on weather and you know it was just a report we did you know three or four weeks ago so it's extremely timely and, and and you know it's a extremely timely and current report so
1: yeah it's a it's a good report I read it and there's there's enough stuff in there to to keep you uh, keep you awake at night so yeah you definitely read that and start thinking about what's gonna what's coming down the pike here because this is not some you know m- magic trick that's gonna whatever this this is real deal this is real stuff it's scientifically proven there's there's all kinds of information out there on it and um you know sean i appreciate you being on the podcast on a on a non-market uh, driven driven talk here but this is good stuff so sean take care of yourself and uh we will catch you again next week
0: casey thank you for the opportunity and have a super weekend
1: right on so with that being said i'm casey seymour let's go move some iron out
0: in, iron in the 21st century You'll find us here, Moving higher